A deadline is looming for the federal cabinet to make a decision on whether to approve a major oil sands project in northern Alberta. The proposed Tech Frontier mine has divided opinions, with many suggesting it will hamper attempts by the Trudeau government to meet its own emissions targets, while proponents say it's in the national interest and necessary to spur economic growth. I'm Dave Breckenridge, and this is 10-3. We talked to the National Post's Jesse Snyder about why the project is so divisive, what Cabinet is saying about it, and what the political ramifications are of a yes or a no. Don't forget, you can subscribe to us wherever you get your favorite shows, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher. We'd love it if you could leave us a rating, a review, and tell your friends about us. So, Jesse... In Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's first term, at least on the energy front, the kind of the big issue he dealt with was pipelines and specifically uh, the Trans Mountain expansion. It appears, though, that as his second term has gotten underway, the question on the energy front he'll really be dealing with is oil sands development as a whole. And that's, I think, best illustrated by what's going on with the proposed Tech Frontier project. Now, why is this seen as a big test for the prime minister or, or, you know, the, the, what he'll be judged most on, on the energy front? Well, I think it's a major test just because this is basically a key component of what Justin Trudeau was selling to voters throughout uh, the recent campaign and, and uh, through the 2015 campaign as well. Uh, He's gained a lot of support from people based on this promise that, uh, you know, the economy and the, the environment go hand in hand uh, we are going to cut back emissions. We are going to start sort of phasing out, albeit on a gradual basis, the oil sands. Uh, we're going to start after all these promises and decades of prime ministers saying they're going to do something. We're actually going to do it. Uh, and he actually has a lot of uh, cabinet members and that kind of thing who are who are quite environmentally focused people. And so they had you know quite a strong team that that was telling voters basically that this is this is what they're going to do. And so. Frontier, I think even more than Trans Mountain kind of puts that to the test because Trans Mountain is carrying away production that's more or less already happening or is coming online in the near term, whereas Frontier is a 40-year cycle project. So it's going to be producing over 40 years, which, you know, environmentalist Warren would lock in oil sands production, um, you know, for the next generation, which is, you know, a big symbol, I think, if you're an environmentalist. Uh, or even if you're somebody who just sort of follows this and believes that uh, this kind of heavy oil production needs to be phased out. So uh, it's a big test for him because, you know, this is this is one of the centerpieces of, of the promises that he made to Canadians. Just kind of looking at the basics of it, the, the Frontier Project is uh, an oil sands mine. Um, does it harken back more to kind of traditional oil sands operations, kind of open pit mining? Or are we talking an in situ project? What are the basic specs for for this proposal? You're right in that it's a very traditional type of project. It's a big open pit. This is what uh, the very early days of the oil sands was, right? There were these big uh, mines, just like any other copper mine or whatever, where uh, you would have trucks and shovels and that kind of thing sort of scooping at the dirt. Most of the later, the more modern projects are these steam-driven projects, as you know, that inject high-pressure steam uh, down the well, and they they tap into much deeper line formations. And you know, as these open-pit mines have scooped up all the easy-line bitumen, uh, they've had to go deeper and deeper, and so they've had to uh, lean on these steam-driven 
processes more. You know, I was looking actually the other day through all of these proposed projects and approved projects in the oil sands and tech really stands out in this way. I mean, it's very different from a lot of these other projects, especially in its size. You know, it's around 270,000 barrels or, or something in that area. Hmm. Whereas most companies in the oil sands now are targeting these steam-driven projects that are in the 10,000 or 40,000 barrel per day range, uh, just these smaller expansions. I mean, in the current investment climate, that tends to be what, what investors have the stomach for. So, you know, tech is is different from all these projects in a lot of ways. And just the fact that this is the project that we're all so focused on is actually kind of curious for that reason. It's actually a really standalone, different project. While recent news around the project kind of may have alerted a lot of people to the project in itself, the the idea of this tech frontier, it's, it's not a, a new project. It's been going through the regulatory process for quite some time. It's sitting right now waiting for cabinet approval. Is that correct? Is that kind of the final step? Yeah. Yeah. So this is the case with all of these major projects. The federal government has to review them and it basically gets a final sign off from the premier's office and from the prime minister's office, essentially, or from cabinet. This is not specific to Frontier. All of these major projects, you know, even airports and transmission lines and anything deemed to be a sort of national interest, major mega project needs to be signed off from cabinet. And that's what we're waiting waiting for now. And a decision supposed to come at the end of month. Opposition has started to ramp up recently. You're seeing more and more voices come out against the project. What is the main argument as, as to why cabinet shouldn't go ahead and approve the frontier? The main argument just comes back to this fact that Canada has set targets. They, funny enough, they're actually set in the Harper years and then Trudeau uh, has carried on and toughened some of those targets and during the 2019 campaign announced a separate new target that we were going to be, that Canada was going to be uh, net zero emissions by 2050. So this is a 40-year project. It's going to emit around 4 million tons of greenhouse gas emissions per year. Uh, if you look at these targets and you look at how far we are from reaching them already, I mean, most projections, even the government's own projections, suggests that we're going to fall short uh, of these uh, climate targets that we set. So if you're an environmentalist and you look at tech and you think, well, we're already falling short and look at all these things we're doing. I mean, we can't possibly sign on for another mega mine, which is going to make that gap even bigger. We're going to have to work even harder to make up the extra shortage. So I think a lot of people just think it, it just doesn't align with these targets that we've set. That's, I think, the crux of the, the worry here. What has the company said about how the project will manage emissions or where it could fit in with Canada's plans to reduce emissions or be net zero by 2050. Yeah, it's interesting because they came out recently and said, uh, we're going to be net zero emissions by 2050, which, uh, <laughs> you know, happens to align quite perfectly with with Trudeau's own ambitions. So that's a, kind of a happy marriage of these these two targets, I suppose. But 2050, to me, seems like a sort of a popular target at the moment. Like Britain is also going after this uh, 2050 net zero emissions goal. I, I think everybody arbitrarily decided 2050 was going to be the year we were going to do this. So tech did the same. Tech itself has done quite a bit, you know, particularly on some of its operations in Chile. Uh, it's got copper mining operations down there where it's invested a lot, building up solar power infrastructure, powering a lot of its mines through clean technology, in British Columbia, I believe, it started to pilot these electric bus programs that, you know, it's basically buses uh, powered by solar power or 
zero emissions energy. You know, it's done all of it's made all of these investments. It, it has actually, to the company's credit, it, you know, it's put quite a bit of work toward cutting back its emissions. You know, the question is, can a major international mining company like this actually reach net zero emissions? I think that that is a much bigger question, and it's going to be a much harder target for them to meet. But certainly. They are putting the messaging out there. They're trying to give Canadians the impression that they're working towards this. I think to buy some kind of social license, you know, to give them a little bit more space to sort of buy an approval for this project, you know, in exchange for a promise that in the future, we're going to reduce these emissions and make up for it. Looking at how this may play out in Canada, if it was just the federal cabinet making a decision without worrying about national unity, say, this, you know, cabinet may lean one way over the other, especially with a number of people who are, are very keen on environmental policy. But Justin Trudeau has talked about the idea that you can balance the economy and the environment and one doesn't have to cancel out the other. And he's also talked about wanting to reach out to Alberta and help Alberta along, especially after his party was shut out in Alberta in the election in the fall. How does tech play into this idea that, rightly or wrongly, that Justin Trudeau isn't interested in Alberta's concerns or Justin Trudeau doesn't like Alberta's main oil industry. Yeah. I mean, we've talked about this a lot in our own office. I mean, if, if they were to reject the thing, if we thought national unity was in trouble after the election, when, when the liberals lost all of their seats in Alberta and Saskatchewan, I mean, you know, we haven't seen anything yet. If, if, they, if they reject this project now, you would basically have a federal government intervening in a project under which the federal regulator, the joint review panel that looked at this project, approved it and actually recommended to cabinet that they approve it, that they move ahead with it. You would have a federal government intervening in that regulatory decision and striking down the province's right to build the project. I mean, that would be an enormous problem for the liberals from a national unity perspective. That was how I went into this. I, I sort of assumed that that was going to be the calculus by the liberals. And the more that I have been talking to people in the environment ministry across different federal ministries, that kind of thing, they're actually, it seems, more concerned than I than I thought about the other side of the equation. You have people in Quebec who are very anti-pipeline, anti-frontier oil sands mine, and they're trying to balance that as well. So from a certain perspective, I think they're looking at, at Alberta and saying, what do we have to lose really? I mean, we lost every single seat that we could have lost in the region. I mean, there's no room to go down for them anymore in that region. You you might want to instead sort of hold on to the voters that, that you already have and try to expand your base in places like BC, in places like Toronto, where voters tend to have a far more environmental bent. Mm-hmm. So, it, you know, I'm curious to see where they're going to fall on it. They, they seem a, a lot more split than I assumed that they were going to. But the calculation of this has changed, actually, in, in some sort of strange irony. I mean, Alberta would probably be facing a, a, a guaranteed approval had they, you know, voted in, say, 10 liberals or something in the last election. But uh, I, I think that they're looking at the Trans Mountain purchase that they made and all of the heat that they took for that, even in Alberta. And I've I've kind of heard mutterings from liberal officials of, of like, well, we we bought the thing for them. We didn't want to do this. And it, where did that get us? And I think, not that I think it should, but I do think that this is playing into a cabinet decision to some degree. 
where does Jason Kenney play into all of this? I know Alberta Premier's, Alberta's Premier has been very vocal about the project, speaking out in support of it, suggesting that it should be a no-brainer. And he even wrote a letter to the Prime Minister last week suggesting that, you know, he's happy to sit down and talk about it, but the end goal for him is getting it approved. What is the kind of the proponent's rationale for wanting to see Cabinet get this done? Yeah, Jason Kenney... And his role in this is actually one of the most interesting pieces of all of this because he's been one of the most full-throated supporters of Frontier. And he's quickly being used by the federal government and actually by the, the provincial NDP and by others as, as the reason for why this project shouldn't move ahead. So it's kind of an ironic twist again and, and something that I'm sure is very frustrating for the Kenny government. I think their argument is essentially that on the commercial side of things, we'll, we're going to let tech decide whether it's going to invest, how it's going to invest, and when it's going to invest. And for the federal government and provincial government and the regulators, you know, your role is to review the project on its merits, to basically assess it, to consult with uh, the different stakeholders, and then to approve or reject it. And that's been done. And he's saying it's it's now time for us to let the private sector move ahead. Uh, you know, it's it's a also a very important project for Alberta, or it would be if it was built. I think that it's probably a pretty slender chance that happens anyways, just based on where oil markets stand today. But ever since, you know, around mid-2014, Alberta's been in a a bit of a tough place. You have oil markets crash and uh, you have a province that's basically looking to every avenue possible to build its economy back up, to get projects built, to, to get people to work. I mean, this is he, he was elected on this kind of mandate of get Alberta back to work again. Just the, the signal that it would send that we're, we're still approving projects and potentially moving ahead with, with big minds, I think is an important, uh, would be a, an important milestone for the Kenny government. The number of jobs that has been talked about is about 7,000 jobs and it'd be investment in a province that that needs investment. But you, you talked about the slender chance that it will get built. What are the odds right now? Is it something that the tech is really keen to get started with right away or do certain economic factors have to be in place for them to to get shovels in the ground? Tech has claimed itself that it's going to move ahead with it, but I mean, that's always going to be the claim by any company. I myself am not an analyst, but I've spoken to a few and I, I've sort of read a few analyses of, of, of this project specifically. And it sounds like they're going to need oil that's quite a bit higher than it is today. You, you've kind of had oil in this $50 per barrel range US, or at least for uh, American oil prices have been around that. Canadian prices are about $20 per barrel lower, which is you know a major problem in itself for Alberta. But mm-hmm. it sounds like you're still going to need a per barrel price that's about $20 higher than it is today, which in today's markets, I mean, we've come up to that a few times only to plummet back down again over the last few years. I mean, it does seem like it's stuck in this kind of $55 per barrel horizon, which really doesn't lend itself to these massive mega mines, you know, a 270,000 barrel or some somewhere in that region project. You know, like I said, it, it lends itself more to these smaller 10,000 barrel per day, 40,000 barrel per day expansions. And like I said, I, I'm not in the room where they're discussing whether they're going to move ahead with it, but it, it just seems that, you know, this is not the environment in which you're, you're going to throw down on a, on a project of that size. It may be a stretch to suggest this, but if the idea is the cabinet doesn't want to see a project like this approved and long-term, we're, we're supposed to get to net zero emissions by 2050, why would the government not just come out and say, 
we're shutting down the regulatory process. We're not going to approve these things because they're not going to help us get to our targets. Or would that be political suicide? <laughs> well, I, I mean, in some sense, I actually think that that would help them politically. I think that they're they're refraining from doing that because of this national unity concern. I, you know, I actually think that they take that quite seriously. I mean, most of what this government does is, you know, it seems to me feeds into this sort of central messaging system. Everything they do has a kind of political message tied to it for that reason. And because most of the voters that they can win over on the left are very environmentally conscious or tend to be very environmentally conscious, you know, it seems like it would make a lot of sense for them to just say, look, we made these commitments. We're not going to let this thing go ahead. We were serious about it. But I, but I, I do think that this issue itself is so deeply complicated and so divided among various voters that you you can't really take a sort of a white or a black approach. I think you kind of have to play it down the middle a bit. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that's what they're dealing with. Though I would imagine they're they're facing a lot of pressure from within their own caucus to do exactly that. Like, look, let's let's draw a line in the sand and we can be the government that makes a generational decision. We can do it right now. We can be the the sort of beginning of the end, if you will, that we, who, who first decided that there was going to be this phase out of the oil sands, which is, as you know, one of the most emissions intensive uh, sources of oil production in the world. You know, I think that that's a pretty seductive notion to a lot of liberals. So it, it's kind of a good question why they, they haven't done that. But I do think it's just, it, it's actually that complicated. Do you get the sense that even if they reject uh, frontier that some of these other projects you talked about earlier, these smaller 10,000 to 40,000 barrel per day projects could still see approval? Yeah. And some of them, in fact, have been approved and are still waiting to be built. I was looking yesterday and there's 20 projects that have been approved and are not yet moving ahead. So that tells you something about the the um, the market atmosphere. I mean, if if they were all just going full force ahead with these projects, that would suggest that yes, of course, tech's going to come online. But you know, there's there's 20 projects languishing now. A lot of them are these smaller projects that uh, would not require a huge capital investment, and yet they're not moving ahead. Um, I think that increasingly the oil sands is going to be operated by a handful of companies. You know, mainly Suncor, CNRL, a few other companies like Imperial, Synovus, um, and rather than a big growth type story. I mean, when I covered the oil sands years ago and China was interested and, you know, it was say 2006 or again in 2012, 13, when uh, Chinese capital was flooding in, the whole story of the oil sands was this is a growth project. It's, you know, this is going to be like the next great thing for Canada. Mm -hmm. I think that that could shift to these couple of oil sands companies that I mentioned operating it on more of a sort of maintenance operations type basis where it's not huge expansion. You're trying to do smaller projects. You're de-bottlenecking. You're trying to make your operations more efficient. Your shareholders are getting more of a steady dividend rather than you know huge, huge profits every year. They're, you're not rolling in the money, but you're producing a product that still has a high demand worldwide, but the growth prospects just aren't there. And I think we're going to see a lot of that. You know, These smaller additions are going to be built. They're going to be built into these larger operations. And it's going to be a few of these companies that are doing it. And I, you know, that could very well be the future of Northern Alberta bitumen production. Where do the issue of, of First Nations and Indigenous communities fit into 
tech because they, you know, you look at the protests going on related to the coastal gas link pipeline in BC uh, with Trans Mountain, yet you have uh, First Nations who are opposed to it, but you have uh, First Nations along the route who are in favor of it or who have signed deals with the company building the pipeline. What about with tech and Frontier? Where does that issue play in? So I believe Frontier has 14 directly impacted First Nations. And I think they they have, in fact, signed agreements with, with all 14 of them. I think First Nations in northern Alberta are very different in their acceptance of oil sands or of oil more generally than, say, on the BC West Coast, where I think you have more of a kind of full-throated opposition. But as it's been pointed out, I mean, we tend to, and the media is quite bad for this, where we, we tend to suggest that First Nations opposition, you know, suggesting that all First Nations are opposed or suggesting even that they're all um, in support of these projects. I mean, it's somewhat divided, but, uh, you know, on Frontier itself, they have secured the support of, of these First Nations. So on that front, at least, you know, I think that they've they've checked those boxes, but it seems to be a moving target. And I mean, you're never going to get full satisfaction is, is, is my read of it. When does cabinet have to make a decision by? So they can keep delaying this decision. I don't know how long that can go on for bill C69, which, you know, a lot of people in Alberta fired back against actually tries to shorten the time in which cabinet has to make these decisions. But at the moment, under the current rules, I don't know whether or not there's really tight deadlines on that. I think by the end of this month, they have to make, or that they've they've said that they're going to make a decision, but they can delay it. And Minister Wilkinson, Environment Minister Wilkinson, has suggested that that could be delayed. So it could be months down the line, but I think they might try to get this thing out of the way by end of month, though it's it's hard to say at the moment. All right. Well, we'll be watching to see what happens with with that decision in the coming weeks. Jesse, thanks for your time. Thanks so much. 10.3 is produced by Carson Jarama. Theme music by Bryce Hall. Thanks to my guest, Jesse Snyder. More from him at nationalpost.com. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.